Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today, we're going to be talking with Victor Morovic, who is the owner and CEO of a phenomenally interesting company called Keen Corp. Victor, how are you this morning? I'm great. John, I'm, I'm impressed. You, this is very early for you. For me, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Rotterdam. But for you, it's very early. I think it's 7 o'clock in the morning, correct? <laughs> well, well, I, you know, I'm part vampire, and I just haven't gotten back in my coffin for the night. So, so it's, really, <laughs> it's really just later for me than it is for you. Okay. Um, so, so would you take, take a moment and introduce yourself? Tell us how you got here. Okay, well, Victor Mirovic, I'm, I'm basically the co-founder uh, of KeenCorp with four other members of my team. Um, I've worked pretty much for 15 years in private equity. Um, and I was always wondering when I was in that department why we spent endless hours analyzing business plans and data rooms um, and looking at hard numbers like sales and gross margins. But there was nearly nothing on hard numbers like people. So that really brought me to develop a new piece of technology that today is known as KeenCorp. So I know you didn't like, spend your early childhood dreaming about doing this. Uh, tell me a little bit more about, about what it takes to become the founder of a company like KeenCorp. Interesting question. I, I went to business school and I was probably, I mean, it wasn't a dropout. I mean, I just finished it, but I was always thinking different from my peers. And um, I always had a feeling on thinking lateral, how things connected, I guess. It's more like a philosophical question. And really, what I learned is that much of what I picked up in school was a, a bunch of jargon, to be honest. You know, productivity people talk this, finance people talk that, um, HR people. So they all seem to dance around certain themes and for me it was hard to figure out how this all connected and I started off uh, you know simply working on modeling because it made sense to me but because the human factor was missing I was always wondering like is there a way how we can quantify culture in a way that it becomes easy for all levels of people to talk about so it, it was it was way more than you know the stint since 2011 when we started KeenCorp. It was really like a discovery towards where it felt good and where we're going right now. Um, and I also personally felt that doing deals, what is very common in private equity, didn't give me the gratitude or the excitement after a while because it seems to be kind of a standard process. It's different at KeenCorp. We've been building this since 2011 and we probably we even, even didn't build it along the typical Silicon Valley uh, dynamics because we funded it ourselves uh, with very little money um, and we really have formed a group of people who totally believe in it and um, well we've been pretty much open we've suffered along the way but we're, we're picking up traction so it's like a little kid uh, getting a bit older I think we're growing into uh, our 17 18 years right now tell me what key does that help does. Yeah, that helps. That helps. Now, what does the company do? Um, KeenCorp, basically, it measures employee engagement as a you know container term, but it measured in a different way than what most of the companies in the same you know ecosystem do today. We measure it on a continuous, unobtrusive basis through psycholinguistic analysis and tension detection. All right, so. 
Where you see the market currently with a lot of parties actually are, are using various forms of surveys to question people and basically go out with psychologically validated uh, questionnaires. But it's still, it captures only what people are willing to share and to say. We capture the unsaid, right? And our aim is, with the technology, to map and manage cultural hotspots within an organization. So, that's so a, ultimately, that, that, this will become a... That's a pretty big claim. We capture the unsaid. Would you unpack that a little bit? Of course. Um, it's very simple. Think of a, of a simple display at a machine in a factory. You know, if you would go to the display and just check it out, it will actually tell you what's going on on all the core processes within that particular machine. In a person, it's different. If I ask you a question... You're actually, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. You're only able to think, you're able to speak with a maximum of 300 words per minute. Beyond that, it becomes incomprehensible. But your brain is able to think 1,200 words a minute. So the difference actually is what you're not speaking, but that still is, is part of your entire thinking process. And there is no way how through a survey you can capture, you know, that, that remaining balance of, thoughts that are going through a person's mind, if you cascade that to a group, it becomes an awful lot of information that people are missing when they're only measuring with surveys. We found a tool to actually measure natural language, because natural language shows patterns, actually, in typing, you know, in inflection points, when there's interesting trends that you can capture, and you can aggregate that to a performance indicator. And it's proven to be very effective. So you don't capture... All of the stuff that's unsaid, you capture some inference from the things that are said uh, and done um, that that gives you some indication of, of what's going on. Is that is that what you're saying? That's correct. Yes, uh, and we we try to capture that under the word of tension. You know, um, like a typical inflection point or you know respiration in a body. If you look at, uh, for example, nonverbal communication. I think we're all trained in business school, you know, when, when people are sitting there, with their arms closed, you know, with a red face, we, we are able to detect that something's going on. In language, the same thing happens. But we don't capture the full unsaid, but we capture, capture the patterns in people's conversations, digital conversations, that is. And those patterns seem to, be, seem to correlate very closely with concepts known to us as engagement or commitment. Right. So uh, that really is, in a way, a much more accurate reflection than only looking at surveys, because surveys, as we all know them, have have a few, I would say, constraints. One of them is usually that they're only uh, taken a few times a year. And even if you increase that frequency, most companies don't include the entire population because it would be a very expensive and time consuming process. And secondly, they're they're also somehow the processing of that information takes time. So because of the way how we capture the data, we can provide, just like Google Analytics, a daily signal to leadership. Just to talk about sales or inventory or liquidity, just to include people into your conversation in an objective way. That's interesting. So then then, then I imagine you have an idea of what constitutes a great level of engagement and and this this conversation is pretty muddy people people ascribe all sorts of things to engagement 
What What do you think the right level of engagement in the workforce is? <laughs> Very good question. Um, I'll tell you. I, when I started with this, I was a finance guy, so I had no I had no lingo. Basically, I learned from some professionals in the industry that there was a, a topic called engagement. Didn't learn that in my business school, basically. <clears throat> so. The only thing I learned over time is that there's around 1,200 different definitions of engagement. So it's fair to say that there is no single definition <laughs> of engagement. <laughs> so there's 1,200 different definitions, and we manage that. I get it. Oh. <laughs> so I think what we do, rather, is rather than coming up with a benchmark of what's out there in the market and try to somehow aggregate that, fair to say we're a young company. We don't have, you know, 10,000 clients yet. But what we do is to, to get the conversation going is we start with a retrospective analysis. And that usually looks back with a particular client for two to three years of data or whatever they have got available. You even got a client that only had three months of data. That's all fine because it shows for all the different clusters that we monitor, we try to basically slice and dice an organization into different cultural risk areas like sales or intellectual property or, you know, your young talent, you know, the millennials, all the areas where you want to put a lens on and those sensors start to tell a story. So when by looking back, we get a baseline with that baseline and also with a cross relate with a, with a relation, the correlation with certain events, people start to understand how to use the tool and then going forward, the live measurement becomes a way for people to connect. It's a way to connect only, to start a conversation. This is not about control because we don't measure individuals at the workplace. That's interesting. You don't measure individuals, but you look at individual data, yeah? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Privacy is a huge thing. Uh, of course, everybody today is talking about it, mostly driven by fear, I guess. Uh, we're a European company, so we're in the middle of the GDPR area. Uh, it has made a, it's, it's sent a shock around business um, this year. <clears throat> but I think what we've really done is we've tried to design from the outset a process whereby it's impossible for us to look at individuals. But we include individuals in groups, and because engagement is very contagious, you know, once there is a toxic employee or there is toxic behavior, this will spread to the group very quickly. So for us, it's enough to measure a group or a cluster of employees and track that, but it's impossible for us to zoom in onto individuals in the group. That's an interesting concept, and, and I imagine you get a lot of pushback about it, but let's, let's dig in a different direction. Tell me, tell me how you use the various pieces of AI. So there's natural language processing, and that's clearly a big chunk of what you do. I assume there's some machine learning because, as I understand it, what you do is take a look at the sort of sum total of the digital output of the organization, and you use that as a way of seeing patterns and things that aren't said but are indicated by behavior or the lack of behavior. Yes. So let me give you some color on that. Um, basically, the tension that I mentioned earlier is, me is measured by identifying high-tension words in sentences. Okay? These can be either positive or very negative. And whether a word is high-tension depends on the context. 
So for example, let me give you some example to, to explain it better perhaps. This, this new movie's ending is unpredictable, may sound fresh and exciting, right? So unpredictable has a positive tension towards the movie, whereas my new Volvo car's steering behavior is unpredictable, sounds quite negative, I guess. I'm quite sure you wouldn't want to join me in the ride because unpredictable has a high negative tension towards the car, all right? So high tension words are recognized within their context, as well as their domain, right? In the examples I just gave you, they're like movie and car. So Kingcorp uses machine-like learning techniques of distant supervision uh, on millions of examples from social media of high-tension words of context and domains, right? So this machine learning ensures that our recognition match and fit improves all the time and is up to date. Does that help? So yeah, that helps a little bit, but but let's the, 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 that opens the door to a bunch of stuff. Every corporate culture is different, and so I'm going to assume that those tension laden words differ in importance by culture. How do you figure that out? Well, this is like I said. This is basically um, it's a process whereby we are looking first at the history per cluster, all right? I think a good example could be when we look at a dealing room from a bank, okay? Take, for example, um, Citibank's dealing room, right? From a semantic perspective, you know, we could start, we could argue that you, you want to count the number of swear words. But if you think about the dealing room, which is a typically male-dominated department, lots of testosterone frying around, you know, to count the number of swear words doesn't add any, any value. What is interesting is to look at the patterns and the inflection point. I would rather look at the moment when they stop swearing. What's going on then? So we have to always look at the, let's say, at the past of a certain organization, quote-unquote, culture, agree with the leadership team, you know, what is a, quote-unquote, normal situation, and then start monitoring the trends, the peaks and the lows, and the awkward kind of developments of a graph to figure out what's going on. It's really not, we don't give an answer. It's rather uh, an opinion, if you will. But the opinion is measured in an objective way. So it should be a reliable way to start a conversation by the leadership. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting in and of itself. I, you know, I, I firmly believe that <clears throat> what machines produce are opinions. Uh, but but this area that you're investigating, which is sort of the, um, if you will, the respiration of of an organization, changes. It's 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 um, modified by emergent events all the time. And so yes. so what you don't see are over time stable definitions of departments or stable definitions of functions in an organization they change as the market changes as the underlying technology changes and as the management team changes um and so 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 getting a clear picture from moment to moment strikes me as super challenging and kind of beyond what machines are capable of doing so you must have to who look at the data and and make some assessments about what's changed and how to think about it is is that right 
Um, it's right, and it's also less complex, I would say. I mean, if you look at sales, for an example, yeah, sales management, I've been in sales for a while myself. Um, in a way, you assume that there is a standardized process, right? But companies also include new products, and there's market conditions which are changing. So the actual sales performance is also a conversation starter, right? The same goes for the culture. What, what I think what I would like you to acknowledge is the resilience in people, right? Some people, especially salespeople, are very, uh, usually very capable to handle stress. But if stress shifts beyond a certain point, when tension, you know, tension is concerned here, when passion shifts into obsession, it's better to start paying attention. And this is really where the inflection points are universal to organizations because uh, whether you have a very caring group of nurses, for example, in a, in a healthcare uh, uh, or in a hospital, or you have a very aggressive sales-driven uh, uh, culture in an investment bank, you know, in a certain situation, even in the investment bank, things become toxic. And it's really at the inflection point where you want to become aware. That's very hard to determine for people when you're in the middle of the game that something is going on. You know, to find the acceleration of the acceleration is really where the machine can help us. This is an awesome set of premises. I, 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 I like the idea that you've got sort of um, an organizational stethoscope or something like that, where you, where you can listen to the heartbeat and see how it's evolving. Um, I still don't really understand. Like, take the sales example. I don't really understand how um, sales, which might be account-driven and then might be some other kind of driven and might be some other kind of driven and have different managers and different organizations and sometimes there's sales engineers and sometimes there's not sales engineers, all in the same company just over time. Figuring out how to follow that flow is, geez, the people who work there can't figure out how to do it. So, so, so there might be something really interesting about your algorithms if you can. Listen, let, let me give you some very simple examples, because okay. I think one of the biggest issues that, uh, you know, typically AI companies these days face is that they're driven by technology lovers. Our company has a very strong background in AI, but we also have a very strong background in HR analytics, if you will, in consulting. So the combination, we have a client um, that recently we measured their organization. We made 120 different data cuts. And actually, we know from HR that it's called the ABC, you know, the autonomy, belonging, and competence is, are the very strong drivers for engagement. And we know that, you know, traditionally, management teams and leadership teams score higher in the engagement taxonomy because of those three factors which are better represented higher up in the organization. So with this particular client, the management team scored significantly lower than the average of the group. And we raised the question, like, how is this possible? It's awkward, because we were expecting actually a better score. Suddenly, management team, always they're all were concerned. They say, well, actually, we all knew about it, but nobody was willing to raise their hand, because we all don't believe in the company strategy. Imagine that. Now, this is where you saw a very successful company. You know, there was nothing wrong with the company, but there was just the alignment internally was not good. So they decided with the tools, to start experimenting how they could actually improve their management team belief in the company's mission, which was a fantastic exercise. 
And this would never have been out there in the open if the measurement wasn't there. So, so, so you're saying that with with the Keen Corp product, what what is the name of the product, by the way? The name of the product is Inflection.ai. It's the inflection points actually that we measure that you should be alarmed about. So, so we're watching for inflection points in behavior and communications. Um, Absolutely. Hmm. Well. So in building this thing, I can't imagine that you are building your own in-house AI tool set. You must be using open source tools in some way. How does that work? Um, well, uh, another awkward thing. We have, I would say, a relatively old startup. Our AI people have been in the AI domain since 2004. So that's not when the typical AI boom started in 2016. So uh, I think we, we pretty much are building our own stuff proprietary. We do test and experiment with open source stuff, you know, Weka, TensorFlow, Theano, they're all famous names. But we like to play around with it, but we really honestly build proprietary technology for ourselves because we believe it's more efficient. That's interesting. That's interesting. So there's a bunch of ethical questions around the kind of stuff you do, starting with privacy, but, but we don't know what organizations are, and you have to experiment on them in order for this to work. So, so what do you think the ethical issues are? Well, we already started on the privacy because it's so hot. Actually, we believe we've addressed the privacy uh, topic completely, but it's always in the eye of the holder. You know, we've got some we got legal opinions from top law firms, but there's still an emotion around the topic that, you know, everybody has got the right to their own opinion. And uh, we've experienced now many times that, you know, chief legal counsel have, even when they read the way how we do it and the legal opinion of the law firms, they still feel nervous because it's about measuring people, you know, and that triggers emotions, you know, historically already. But what's much more interesting, John, is that there is, the second domain I want to mention next to privacy is leadership integrity, because what we learn is that quite a lot of leadership teams actually are struggling with the information. You know, it's like a question, do I really want to know this stuff? You know, and the irony is that it's like going to the doctor and hearing that you are suffering from a terrible disease. You know, we want to go for a second opinion or we start questioning the method, but it's kind of interesting that we, leaders are usually quite proud and they're quite strong to be in that position where they are, but we feel that they're, some of the leaders are quite conflicted to work with this information because they have never been trained to deal with it in an easy way. So that's kind of a generational thing. I believe that things are changing, especially in you know, the modern technology firms. People are more open to this. But the more traditional firms, we feel that leaders really, I've even had leaders requesting to remove the leadership measurement from our report because they simply didn't want to see it. Can you believe it? And the last area, which is, of course, very hot, is team diversity and inclusion, you know, the Me Too kind of uh, uh, analysis, which is flying around town these days, because ultimately, you know, we can, we can analyze all kind of male-female, but also other kind of demographic information, which provides a very interesting image on the culture. But it also spurs a huge debate. So ultimately, uh, I think these three things, privacy, leadership integrity, and team diversity, where we feel the ethics are fully at play.
so can you see spots where there's sexual harassment? Can you see that with your tool? Like I said before, we don't measure on an individual basis, but we definitely, because we can measure male-female kind of uh, uh, clusters, we can see uh, when there's departments where there's interesting you know, trends, this is the first place where you would go and check. And yes, then when this sexual harassment case or any other kind of harassment would come up, we'll pick it up. I can give you an exa- a few examples that we've actually come across and it really flags the situation as an early warning sign. And that's, I think, the greatest value to the organization. So you can actually spot the issue before it actually explodes. That, that's, that's interesting. So you've seen that in your data with customers already? Yes, we see, we see multiple situations of, I would say, me too. Because sexual harassment is so sensitive that we're all talking about it but you can think about multiple ways of discrimination uh, that actually all are coming to the same conversation. The tension goes up. I think you and I can relate to that as well. I mean, if I look at my private life, it happens all the time because we as humans, we're not trained to deal with this emotion in a rational way. And organizations aren't either, right? Interesting. That's that's very interesting. So so if if you're in the boardroom um, and you get an alert from KeenCorp that says the tension is rising over here in um, the printer department. Um, yes. How do you know when, when it's reached the point where you need to pay attention to it? And, and how, do you, you know, how do you make that distinction? Because everything is going to have ups and downs in it. Every, every aspect that you look at is going to be moving towards or away from some sort of inflection point. Let's please differentiate between sentiment analysis, which is also a, a very well-known domain these days, and our tension detection. Because sentiment analysis, I always use the example of a couple who's, who's quarreling you know, about something. If you would measure the sentiment in the middle of their quarrel, the sentiment would be very low. All right? But the, the engagement, you know, their will to make the marriage work, which is really where our measurement comes in, could still be very high. So sentiment analysis on one side, engagement on the other side, because the personal involvement is really when that starts to change, when people start to basically no longer take themselves, quote unquote, to the office because they are like more like shadows to themselves, then it becomes very, very interesting and also very alarming for leadership because then something like sexual harassment or any other misconduct could be going on. So it's not only the tension, but it's the, the, the crosshair between tension and personal involvement that makes the change. And some people can handle mental resilience very well, and others can't. This is the subject of another radio show. The idea that, you, that there is a distinction between sentiment and engagement is not commonplace in the people who are peddling solutions that are... Mm, in adjacent spaces to yours, we'll have to we'll have to really dig into that one day. We we'll have to really dig into that. Please. So, so we have we've gone through our half an hour together, Victor. Would you take a moment okay. and reintroduce yourself? Uh, tell people how they might get hold of you and accept my thanks for doing this show this morning. Well, I appreciate it, uh, John. It was a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, well, like I said, Victor Mirovich, I'm the co-founder of Team Corp. More information you can find at keencorp.com. It was great to be here, and thank you for your report. I really appreciate it.
Thank you. And uh, you have been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Victor Mirovich uh, from Keen Corp. You ought to take a look at them. Thanks very much for listening in today, and we will see you here next week. Bye-bye now.